Good morning, Midland Free. Hey, my name is Jeremy Lobdell, and I am the richest man on the face of the planet. Oh. All right, I think you're tracking with me already, but I want to explain that a little bit more today as we go. Welcome here. Boy, these Christians are weird, aren't they? We're glad you're here. If this first time, way to go, you picked a good day to come to church. We're here to worship, and please do be careful, but we're super thankful for our facilities team and our elders who are driving around like at 4 a.m. this morning. Yeah. We're texting back and forth and trying to figure out what to do, and the Lord led us here, so we're glad that you are here. Um, I want to show you some pictures here in just a second, but I have to put a bit of a preamble on this. And the reason is because I've been saving this story for you for a long time, for like five years. I haven't told you this story, but I had I had to find just the right day, just the right time for just the right people. And you're it today. So any of your friends who miss this, um, can you can just tell them, well, Pastor Jeremy's the richest guy in the world and he has proof. And here's my proof. Let's show a couple of those pictures, please. This is a house that Robin and I actually used to pass by on our neighborhood walks. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm not kidding. Here's another one. Okay, I got another one. And I have one more. And I'm not kidding. We walked right by the front door of all of these places and more. In fact, if you go to the Preston Hollow neighborhood of Dallas, Texas, uh, today you will see those homes. You also see homes that are owned by billionaires, the likes of which include Mark Cuban, Ross Perot, Mary Kay, who's since come and gone, but you will recognize her very pink house, along with others like former presidents and real estate developers and the like. In fact, we were... At the corner of Deloach and Hathaway, and at that same corner, like kitty corner to us, it was a T, we were at the dead end. Just there lived Mark Cuban. So Mark Cuban, for those of you who don't know, is a Yahoo billionaire.com guy who currently owns the Dallas Mavericks and just enjoys, you know, spending his money. And we used to walk by his house on our walks. We lived in this neighborhood, in houses of such grandeur that you can only take in the full scope from the air. I'm talking 20 to 25,000 square foot homes with underground parking garages and water parks in the back, tennis courts, mile-long driveways, big sculpted ponds and gardens in the front, giant gates and armed guards driving around on little golf carts yelling at anybody who looks in the door. I know. (laughs) Sorry. I invited my cousin there once because he was in Missouri at the time. And I said, would you like to see some Ferraris? How about come with me and we'll take a little walk and see what we see. Because the garages are huge and you can just walk around and see all this stuff. Well, how in the world did Pastor Jeremy get in a spot like that? I know you're just dying to ask that question. Here it is. What happens is this. It's Dallas, Texas. And I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And so it just so happens that some of those people in that area are believers. I mean, they may not be the billionaires, they're the, you know, little millionaires or whatever, but they're Christians and they give. And what happens is the seminary on occasion came into contact with some people 
who would um, travel frequently because they could. And they needed people on their property to make it look like there's a presence there and to get their mail and to clean out their cat litter and to pick up their dog poop and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm all about dog poo cleanup. <laughs> Sign me up, hon. And we got out of our little roach infested, very dangerous 500 square foot apartment and moved into Preston Hollow. And this was something wild, let me tell you. So the, the home we were in wasn't quite as big as some of those, but this guy was a partner, the lead partner in a real estate, or not a real estate, in a architectural firm. So he actually designed many of the houses in that area. And so what would happen is every Christmas, he would have a Christmas party. And for whatever reason, I guess just because they're generous and benevolent, we got to come. And I'm looking in my closet for cufflinks, but I couldn't find anything. But I'm doing my best. I'm getting all dressed up. Here's this young seminary student, and he's going to this party. And you know how Christmas parties are. If you've ever been there, there's the hors d'oeuvres and the fancy food. But you're also trying to network a little bit, right? And so you got to be kind of schmoozy and, you know, slick. And so you walk over, and some guy comes up to me, and I don't know if he's thinking, wow, this guy's young. He must be, like, really amazing to be at this party. So I'm acting it up, you know, <laughs> not really. The guy walks up, guy walks up to me. He's like, Hey, what do you do? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I work for Mark. <laughs> he's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, I could be an attorney or an accountant or a drafter or an architect or all these different things that would be part of his top floor firm. It's like, Oh yeah. What do you do for him? I'm like, I get his mail. <laughs> And that guy said, like, oh, see you later. <laughs> Not so much networking with me, eh? Okay, I get it. It makes sense. But did I mention I'm the richest guy in the entire world? Oh, I forgot to include that. You see, for us as Christians, I think we can actually do better than that. We can do better than Christmas party. We can do better than garage. We have... An eternal inheritance, one that never fades or perishes, and is in fact better. Now, I know when I say that, that's hard to believe. So I'm looking at my garage, and I'm looking at my inheritance saying, are you sure? <laughs> yes. Let me show you how today, that we have an inheritance that far exceeds any of these other things. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. If you have a Bible, great. Follow along in your Bible. If you don't, no biggie for today. We've got the words up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have blue Bibles in the back. We'd invite you just to grab it and walk out the door. That's part of our church. We want everybody who comes here to have a Bible. So please take one with you on your way. First Peter chapter 3, God's word, not Jeremy's word, but God's word, says this. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, according to his great mercy, he has caused us, he caused us to be born again. Born again to what? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Also known as an inheritance. Oh, you know, like the stuff those trust fund kids have. No, one that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, you who are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation. That's what we're talking about here. Salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, in this salvation, in this inheritance, in this living hope, in this, you rejoice. We do rejoice, even though at times life stinks. Oh, the Bible says, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Amen? You're grieved by these trials, not because God is sadistic or enjoys bothering you, but it's for a purpose so that, verse 7, here's the purpose of those trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, the purified nature of it, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested or purified by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to these beautiful words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, the prophets were all wondering about this because they knew it was great and God had given them a hint long before he ever got there, but they didn't quite understand. Who is this guy? When is he coming? And so concerning verse 10, this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God. Thanks be to the Lord. First Peter chapter three verses or chapter one verses three through twelve is really talking about salvation. It uses a couple of terms inheritance, living hope, but it's Waxing eloquent, basically, upon the foundations of our faith on which everything else hangs or falls. That's important for this book because he's about to prepare them to go through suffering. And there's no reason to go through suffering if it's not worth it. None whatsoever. But because what we have coming is of so much more value than anything we'll go through, then it's worth enduring. So the point I think that Peter is making, as you've seen already alluded to in this book, is that there's tremendous joy ahead. And that gives us that gives us, you know, hope for tomorrow, which gives us strength for today. And basically, he's saying the value of your inheritance outweighs anything you have to go through to get it. The value of your inheritance outweighs anything you have to go through to get it. When I was in seminary, there was a lot of reading. So glad I'm not in seminary anymore. There's a lot, and I mean a lot, a lot, a lot, like thousands of pages per class, multiple classes, a lot of reading. And so what happens is some of the times, depending on what they want you to read, some of the professors will make you read all this stuff you'll never use again about from people you completely disagree with. 
And occasionally there's the one student who's bold enough to ask his hand, raise his hand and say, why are we doing this? And I remember one guy actually got really bold and he says, I feel like I'm dumpster diving. <laughs> oh, we're reading all this trash, but how, what, huh? Would we really do this in real life? And the professor said, well, if I knew there was a diamond in that dumpster, I'm going in. <laughs> You know, it depends on the value of what's in there, how much you're willing to endure, how stinky you're willing to get, how embarrassed you will be in front of all your friends if you think that what's in that trash can is worth it. Look, if there's a million dollar diamond in that dumpster, I'm in. I'm in and I will stink. And you guys say, what is Pastor Jeremy doing? But trust me, I know it's worth it. That's what living in this world is like. It's a dumpster. It's a trash can. Sometimes it stinks. But the reality is the thing that we are pursuing is so worth it. No matter how much people make fun of us, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it costs, it's still worth it. We're dumpster diving. And so what I want to do today then is try to help you understand the diamond we're after. Because what happens is if we say, you know, Oh, heaven is so wonderful. It, it's kind of hard to get your mind around. At least it is for me. And so I want to flesh out the value of our inheritance and the surety of it. How much is it worth and how much is it guaranteed? The value and the surety. Because if there's great value, but I have no chance of getting it, eh, still not in. Or if I'm sure I'm going to get it, but it's not very valuable, eh, not that motivating. But if it's extremely valuable and it's absolutely guaranteed, then I'm interested. This is exponential returns with 100% certainty. (laughs) Invest in that. Amen? (laughs) All right. So here's the first part, the value, the value. Sometimes, there's a little inside secret, Pastor Jeremy. doesn't matter that much, but here it is. Sometimes when I'm, you know, brushing my teeth or, doinking around in the bathroom, doing whatever we do. I have these amazing thoughts. Really amazing. Amazing like, if you could have a million dollars or never get sick again, which one would it be? (laughs) Let me just pull the audience. If you could have a million dollars or never get sick again, Who'd want to never get sick again? Okay. Who would take the money and run? (laughs) All right. Either I know who has good immune systems. That's what we'll say. I know. There you go. I, you know, it depends on the week, right? Some weeks when I'm sick, I'm like, man, think of all the lost time and all the misery and da da da. This would be so worth it. And then other weeks I'm like, hey, you know what? Hmm. So what I think that question does, though, is this. It causes us to think about two of the things that are, if we're honest, really important to us as physical human beings. Well, let's just face it. We can be pie in the sky, nebulous all we want. But the reality is our health, how we're feeling, affects us. And our wealth, our ability to buy and provide and yada yada is important, too. And I'm not saying that we are a health and wealth gospel. We are not in what's any way whatsoever about health and wealth at Midland Free. We're about the gospel. 
But here's the way it works. The real gospel doesn't promise health and wealth now, but it promises everything in the future. Way more than you can ever get now. And so when we start to think about our human needs, we think about stuff like health. We think about wealth. We think about relationships. Think about how much pain has come into your life or how much joy or how many questions. How how important are relationships to you? What about your personal improvement? This is 2020 and you've got your list of New Year's rev- resolutions. and There's things you want to be better at and perhaps a lot of them have to do with health and wealth or relationships. And what about your environment? I know people that are like nearly shut-ins, not because they have to be, but because they want everything just so right in their world that they can't stand to go anywhere else because something's going to be out of place. We as human beings value health, wealth, relationships, environment, our own personal improvement. So what's the deal then? I mean, what if I could never be sick again? Or what if I did have all the resources I need? Or how is that ever going to become reality. And the answer is this. In the Garden of Eden, it was such that everything was perfect. Their health was perfect. Their relationship was perfect. Their wealth, their unlimited resources, they had no lack of anything whatsoever, was perfect. Personal improvement, what? They were perfect. Everything was just right the way it should be. But then what happens is they disobey and God and God says, when you disobey, that's going to be a problem. They didn't believe him that he, they did. And sure enough, it was. And sin gets into all of that. And every single one of those things, whether it's your health, your wealth, your relationships, your environment, your personal improvement, all of those have been affected by the fall. So I get sick now because there is sin and death in the world. And eventually it ends in death. I struggle in relationships because I sin. I struggle in relationships because they sin. I struggle in relationships because we all sin. We even have sinful attitudes and thoughts. Even when we're not sinning, we're thinking about sinning. We struggle with wealth. Why? Because regardless of the system you live in, whether it's capitalism or communism or whatever else, however they decide a humanistic way to allocate efficiently limited resources, at some point we run out. And we fall short. And as a result, there's lack. There's need. There's a lack of wealth. Our environment, of course, is not perfect. Look outside, right? It's not a perfect world. None of us are in Hawaii right now. And even then, there's still bad stuff. And personal improvement, of course. I mean, it's New Year's, right? Look in the mirror. Any of us perfect? (laughs) No, of course not. Every single one of these have been affected By the fall and by sin. So how in the world can we fix all of it? Is it simply by throwing money at it? Like if I buy enough machines, am I eventually going to have a perfect body? Or if I invest enough, am I going to have enough wealth? Or if I just say sorry at the right time, are all my relationships going to be perfect? No. We can't do that here. And the only way to get to what we want, which is absolute perfection in all of those things is to get to heaven, to get Eden restored, to get back to the original state, but not just there where we could sin, but in fact beyond there where we can't sin ever again. We want perfect forever and ever. 
And that is what God promises us with his salvation. With the fix for sin, with what Jesus did on the cross, we get the fix to all these things. Now, it's not instant. I'm sorry. I wish it was. But it's not. But the promise is, the futuristic promise, that all of these things will come to us for certain and for sure. And I'll show you that here in just a minute. But here's the first thing. The thing about our inheritance is it's worth more than anything else because it does it all. It's the best of all possible worlds. Wealth, relationship, health, everything. The whole kit and caboodle. It's all there. Now that would be valuable, right? That would be valuable. But if it only lasted for a day, that would be disappointing. We want forever and ever. Look at verse 4 of 1 Peter. This inheritance that Peter is talking about, this inheritance that Pastor Jeremy is trying to communicate to you, is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, forever and ever. It, It has no impact based on the volatility of the markets or the uncertainty of the global whatever. It is for certain and for sure. It is kept, guaranteed in heaven for you. That's a good inheritance. Now, I got to stop there for a second and say, who wants that? All right. You don't want it. All right. I don't know. I guess I didn't describe it very well. (laughs) I want that. Now, here's the thing, though. One of the things that John Piper explains very well is the all-surpassing worth of Christ. And what happens is this. If I were to describe this to you and say, all right. Here's what we're after. And I stop there. I have not given you heaven. I've given you nirvana. But I haven't given you heaven. Heaven has Jesus. And if you want all of those things and could be happy there without him. You're not ready for heaven. Because the supreme and all-surpassing worth of Christ is the most valuable thing that you get when you go to heaven. Even beyond eternal life. Even beyond perfect bodies. Even beyond perfect relationship and streets of gold and whatever you can think of. It's Christ. This is your inheritance. He is our worth. He is our value. He is our treasure. And when you go to heaven, that's the beauty of it. You are in his presence forever and ever. So it is perfect. It is good and is of infinite value. So what am I saying to you? Let me summarize it like this. Here's a slide of what I'm trying to say in the first point. First point, your inheritance makes you the richest man in the world or woman. Your inheritance makes you the richest person in the world. Your inheritance makes you the richest person in the world. Why? Because it's the best of all possible worlds. It lasts forever and ever. And it has Jesus. You can't get any better than that. You are the richest people on the face of the planet. If you are believing in Jesus as your savior, you are the richest people on the face of the planet. Point one, your inheritance is of infinite, infinite value. Point number two, point number two, it's of infinite value, but how sure is it? How sure is it? I mean, it's really cool if it's out there, but I want to get it. How sure is it? Well, the first point I want to make is that it is anchored in God's character. What does that mean? Well, Pastor Jeremy's up here promising, 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 or some book is saying, 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 
That's still not enough. What you need is an infinite and almighty God who can guarantee that this thing will happen. It's not enough to hope. It's not enough to hang in the balance. It's not enough to try really hard. But what we need is someone who's more powerful than all the evil in the entire world to ensure that this will actually occur. That is Jesus Christ. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul. It is a guarantee. It is for sure and for certain because God is almighty and all powerful, but not only almighty and all powerful, all just and all good. And he has to be both. If he's almighty, he's just strong and he doesn't have to help. If he's good, he's just well-meaning, but he can't make it happen. But if he is almighty and if he's all good and you put those together, then you have a guarantee that this could actually happen and will. Number one, it is anchored in God's character. Number one, it's anchored. It's absolutely sure. It's based on him, who he is. Is he going to make a promise he can't keep? No. Will he quit in the middle of this project? No, he's for sure and for certain, going to accomplish what he set out to do. Number two, it is active in our lives. It's one thing to say it's anchored, and that makes it sound like it's just stuck, and it's in the ground, and it's not going anywhere. But it's another thing to say it's active. All of us who believe in Jesus have experienced the Holy Spirit in some way or another, and that means he's working on you. We don't all experience them in the same way. Not all the gifts for everybody. Everybody has something different. But if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, that means he's working on you. Now, he works in a lot of different ways. He could work through that flat tire. He could work through that snowstorm. He could work through that burnt meal. He could work through that challenge at church or the job or wherever. That's the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing is he's allowing Things to come into your life that is for your refinement. So the next time you run into that person who's a little bit difficult to work with, you say, thank you, Jesus, for refining me with their presence. (laughs) They're here to help make me more patient. I praise the Lord for that. (laughs) That's hard and we smile about it, but that's real. The reality is this, our faith is, is being refined on a daily basis. It's being tested. It's being purified. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. When it's talking about trials, we're going to pop a verse up here in just a second. Verses 6 and 7 say this, In this you rejoice. You know, we just joked about it. But seriously, if you really believe this, you may actually be able to do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. To Rejoice that though for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, for verse 7, So that the, here's the purpose, so that the genuineness of your faith will be refined or tested more precious than gold, even though it perishes, it's tested by fire, amen, amen, and may be found to result in praise and glory of Jesus Christ. So none of us want to be a hunk of old, ugly, unrefined metal. Instead, what we want to do is be beautiful, purified, and shiny. The only way to do that is to go through the fire. Only way to do that is to go through the fire. And so God in his grace, even when we would walk the other way, allows a little fire to come to us all. And in that, we can rejoice. Say, you know what? This is for my good. I believe it even though I don't feel it. We believe it even though we don't see him. 
We love him even though he's not right here right now. But we believe. That's called grace through faith. So, number two, it's active. It's active. It's not just anchored and stuck, but it is at work on us. Number one, it's anchored. Number two, it's active. Number three, and this is actually one of the ones I'm most excited about, that it's already accomplished. Listen to this. I just said, your salvation is already accomplished. I'm using A's here. Absolutely sure. Why? Because it's anchored, active, and already accomplished. It's already accomplished. How can you say that, Pastor Jeremy? Well, here's an example. The other night, we've been at home all day and, you know, staying in because of the crazy weather and kids are running around the basement and all of a sudden it's dinner time. And you know what that means. It's dinner time. It needs to be like instantly ready right now. (laughs) Everything has to be set. Otherwise, oh no, panic. (laughs) Well, people come running upstairs like, where's dinner? Where's dinner? Where's dinner? Hold on, hold on. It's not ready yet. It's still being prepared. We'll bring it out in just a second. But you know what the Bible says? That's different than your salvation. Your salvation is already ready, prepared, and kept. So, as soon as you come running upstairs, boom, God brings it out. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says this. This is the inheritance we talked about just a minute ago. Look at this again. This is an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. It's kept. Like, it's there. It's sitting there waiting. It's not like in process and God's like, hold on just a minute. Not quite ready. Hang on. No, no. It's kept. And the next verse says, who by God's power are being guarded for faith. And ready to be revealed in their last time. It's kept and it's ready. It's sitting there hot and on the stove. And when you come in claiming that salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ says, ready. Here it is. Guaranteed. What am I trying to say? Number one, it's of infinite value. Number two, it's absolutely sure. Look at how sure it is. Here's the slide. It is anchored in God's character. It is active in our lives. And it is already accomplished in eternity. God who sits out of time and space sees our life entirely different than we do. We're in the moment. We're in the now. What's today? What's tomorrow? That's my concern. God has already seen the end. He knows what's going to happen. And he's got it all figured out. And he's going to do it. It's done. That is why Jesus on the cross, says, it is finished. And when Jesus says it's finished, he means it's finished. From start to finish, his cosmic plan of salvation for all who would be um, called to him is complete. That's why Romans 8.28 reads like this. Here's a bunch of words that's called a Pauline stair step, but let me show you. Each and every one of them is in the Past tense, even though not all of this is past tense in my life. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. 
wait, when I look in the mirror, do I feel glorified? No, but what does that verse say? God sees our salvation as complete. We are glorified. He sees it done. It's a proleptic heiress for those of you who are asking that question. It's a future past tense that God sees as accomplished in our life right now. So, one more time, absolutely sure, anchored, active, and already accomplished. Here's a graphic that I think represents that well. Our salvation, our inheritance, our living hope, that thing which we are diving in the dumpster for, it is of infinite value, it is absolutely guaranteed. Why? Because it's anchored in God's character, we see it active in our lives, and it's already been accomplished in eternity. You are the richest people in the entire world. You are crazy, filthy, ludicrously rich. Our inheritance is better. Here's a slide. Here's the point. It's better than anything else. How can we not say we're rich? We're not trying to be crude. We're just saying what we have is better. It's way better than anything else. We have the fix that everybody else is pursuing. We have it. And what that means is this, is that there is tremendous, tremendous joy ahead. Because, here's a slide, because there is joy ahead, that means hope for the future and strength for today. Man, I'm 20 years removed from seminary now and it's long and gone, but it's one of those things you look over the shoulder and think, I know what I should have said. I know what I should have said. Why are you at this party? Because I'm rich, of course. Why else would I be here? I'm filthy rich. What do you do for a living? Oh, I've, I quit working a long time ago. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Live off dividends. No big deal. Wow. Well, how did that happen? Well, it's this family I'm in. My family is so crazy wealthy. And we're all equal partners and with equal shares. Well, who are you related to? A king. A king? What country? Entire world. (laughs) I don't know where that conversation would go. (laughs) It's one I wish I could have again. The reality of this, I know it's a struggle. It's hard to believe because we're looking at today and we're looking at tomorrow. But when by grace through faith, we take God at his word, believe who he says he is, it's anchored in his character, it's active in our lives, it's guaranteed in the future, then we truly believe we're the richest people in the entire world. Father, we thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus, who makes us so rich. I pray, Lord, that you would gift us with the grace to believe and accept our wealth. Lord, the wealth of forgiveness, the wealth of love, the wealth of your friendship, and the wealth of healing, true healing, in the life hereafter. I pray, God, that we will look forward to that and believe in that and live according to that even today. In Jesus' name, amen.